0: Chapter six of the Memoirs of Chateaubriand seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred, part three. This is the Librivox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox. org recording by Nicole Lee Memoirs of Chateaubriand seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred, part three by Francois Rene de Chateaubriand. Chapter six London from April till september eighteen twenty two Brussels Dinner at the Baron de Bretois rivarol departure for the royal army route meet with the russian army arrival at Treves. brussels was the headquarters of the most distinguished emigres the most elegant women and the most fashionable men of paris who could only take the field as aides de camp expected from pleasure the rewards of victory they had new and handsome uniforms in which they exhibited themselves to show the extent of their absurdity and folly they consumed on the festivities of a few days sums of money considerable enough to have maintained them for some years it was not worth while to economize seeing they would be almost immediately in paris these brilliant chevaliers were preparing for military glory by successes in love following precisely the opposite mode of ancient chivalry they looked with contempt upon us poor fellows on foot with our knapsacks on our backs small provincial gentlemen become soldiers at the feet of their emphales, these herculeses twirl the distaffs which they had sent to us and which we contenting ourselves with our swords returned to them at brussels i found my trifling baggage which had arrived before me it consisted of my uniform of the regiment of navarre a few changes of linen and my precious note-books from which i could never separate i was invited to dine along with my brother at the baron de bretoy there i met the baroness de montmorency then young and beautiful but at the present time just dying and martyr bishops with mohair cassocks and crosses of gold, young magistrates turned into colonels of hussars, and Riverall, whom I never saw but this once in my life. His name had not been announced. I was struck with the language of a man who alone talked, and with some right claimed a hearing like an oracle. Riverol's wit was injurious to his talents, his words to his pen. On this occasion, he said very aptly of revolutions: the first blow is aimed at a god, the second only strikes against insensible marble i had resumed the dress of a shabby sub-lieutenant of infantry and on leaving the dinner-table was about to set out my knapsack was behind the door i was still bronzed by the rays of an american sun and the sea breezes i wore my black hair smooth my figure and my silence annoyed Riverol, and the baron de Breteuil, who perceived his restless curiosity satisfied it where does your brother the chevalier come from said he to my brother i answered from niagara Riverol exclaimed from the falls i was silent he stammered the beginning of a question monsieur is going to the war said i interrupting him we rose from dinner these coxcomb emigres were hateful to me i was eager to see my peers emigres like myself with six hundred livres income we were very stupid doubtless but at least our swords were ready and had we obtained success the benefits of the victory would not have fallen to us my brother remained at brussels with the baron de montboissier to whom he was attached as an aide-de-camp I set out alone for coblenz nothing can be more historical than the road i followed every place as i passed recalls some of the splendid triumphs of france i passed through liege one of those municipal republics which was accustomed so often to rebel against its bishops or against the counts of flanders louis the eleventh when an ally of the men of liege was compelled to consent to the sack of their city in order to escape from his ridiculous imprisonment at Peron. i was going to rejoin and form a part of those men of war who placed their glory in similar things in seventeen ninety two the relations between liège and france were more peaceful the abbot of saint hubert was obliged every year to send two hunting dogs to the successors of king dagobert at aix-la-chapelle another gift but on the part of france the pole which was used at the interment of a most christian king was sent to the tomb of charlemagne as liege paul to a feudal superior our kings thus rendered faith and homage by taking possession of the inheritance of eternity they swore at the knees of the dead their lady to be true and faithful after having given the feudal kiss but this was the only suzerainite to which france ever yielded homage as a vassal the cathedral of aix-la-chapelle was built by charlemagne and consecrated by leo the third two prelates were wanting at the ceremony were replaced by two bishops of maastricht long since dead but resuscitated expressly for the occasion charlemagne having lost a beautiful mistress pressed the body in his arms and would not be separated from it this passion was attributed to a charm the dead body of the young lady was examined and a small pearl was found under the tongue the pearl was thrown into a marsh charlemagne madly enamoured of the marsh gave orders to have it filled up there he built a palace and a church the one to dwell in during life and the other to be his resting-place when dead the authorities for this story are archbishop turpin and petrarch at cologne i was struck with admiration at the cathedral had it been finished it would be the noblest gothic monument in europe the monks alone were the painters sculptors architects and masons of their temples and cementarius master mason was a title of which they boasted it is curious in the present day to hear philosophical pretenders and blustering democrats declaim against the clergy as if those surplus labourers those mendicant orders to whom we owe almost everything had been gentlemen cologne recalled to mind caligula and st bruno i saw the remains of the dykes of the former at Baye, and the desolate cell of the latter at the grand chartreuse i went up the rhine the whole way to Coblenz, Confluentia. the royal army was no longer there i crossed those empty kingdoms in Ania regna I saw the beautiful valley of the Rhine, the Tempe of the barbarian Muses, in which knights appeared around the ruins of their castles or where, at night, sounds of arms were heard when war was portending. Between Coblenz and Treves, I fell in with the Prussian army. I passed along the column, and when I reached as far as the guards, I saw they were marching in order of battle with cannon in line. The king and the duke of Brunswick occupied the centre of a square formed by Frederick's old grenadiers my white uniform caught the king's eye he sent for me he and the duke of brunswick took off their hats and in my person saluted the old french army they asked me my name that of my regiment and where i was going to join the princes the military reception affected me i replied that having learned in america the misfortunes of my king i had returned to shed my blood in his service the generals and officers who surrounded frederick william made signs of approbation and the russian monarch said to me "Sir." it is always easy to recognize the sentiments of the french nobility he again took off his hat remained uncovered and stopped till i had disappeared behind the mass of grenadiers now the emigres are declaimed against as tigers who tore out the heart of their mother at the time of which i speak they were held up as examples and honor was held in as much regard as country in 1792 fidelity to oaths was looked upon as a duty it has now become so rare as to be considered a virtue a strange scene which has occurred to others as well as myself was very near making me retrace my steps i was almost refused admittance into the army of the princes when i at length reached it at trev i was one of those men who waited for the event before coming to a determination i ought to have been in the camp three years ago i had just come when victory was certain there was no need of such persons as myself there were already too many gallant men after the fight whole squadrons of cavalry were deserting daily the very artillery went away en masse, prodigious illusion of parties. I was fortunate enough to meet with my cousin, Armand de Chateaubriand, who took me under his protection, called a meeting of the Bretons, and pleaded my cause. I was sent for and explained myself. I said I had just come from America, to have the honour of serving with my comrades, that the campaign was merely opened and not begun, and that I was time enough for the first fire, that, moreover, I would withdraw if they required it, but after having obtained satisfaction for an undeserved insult the matter was arranged as i was a good fellow the ranks were open to receive me and my only remaining difficulty was the embarrassment where to choose End of chapter six